0: Welcome, friends, to this episode of Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. About six months ago, I met a person named James Harper, and he told me about a podcast project that he was working on called Filter Stories. And he told this story about Martin Shabaya, who is the Kenyan National Barista Champion, and he got to follow him during his World Barista competition routine in Seoul, and it was unlike any podcast about coffee that I'd ever heard. It was a story form podcast, which meant that he would do all these different interviews and put them all together in fun ways, kind of like This American Life or Radio Lab or any of those other really popular podcasts that you've probably heard of. And I was so excited to hear it. And then James was like, wait, I still have a bunch more podcasts to make. Let's come back to this in a couple of months. Lucky for me, James did come back in a couple of months and he launched a whole new series of stories. Again, it's called Filter Stories, and I am so lucky today to get to share probably one of the most important stories that I've ever heard about in coffee. If you were making coffee in 2014, you probably heard about this too. Uh, It takes place in Asheville, North Carolina. It's about a group of people at Waking Life Coffee. And if you don't know what happened, don't research it. Listen to this story. Uh, but please be warned, there are issues of sexual assault, violence, and just real nasty broism um, before you get involved in this story. That being said, I could not be more honored and excited for Boss Barista to feature, filter stories. Please enjoy.
1: I think it was the first time I had a porver. I was like, you weigh that wow this is incredible i didn't even know this coffee could taste like this
2: this is sarah sarah's talking about the first time she went to one of the highest quality cafes in all of north carolina a coffee shop called waking life waking life would eventually be featured in the new york times and in countries as far away as new zealand but it wasn't because the coffee was great rather it's because eventually Waking life would hurt many, many women in the Asheville community. Here's a quick primer on the kind of place that Asheville is. Asheville is a liberal city of about 100,000 people nestled into the Appalachian Mountain Range. If you wander down the high street, you'll find stores selling 100 different wind chimes. And there's a fortune-telling machine.
3: What are you waiting for? Come on over. Zoltar will give you a wealth of wisdom.
2: And there's even a piano in the airport. I'm James Harper, and this... is Filter Stories. The untold stories, hidden in your cup of coffee. Okay, let's get into the story. The year is 2012... And Sarah is a university student in Asheville.
1: And started actually going into waking life to study. And I remember talking with the only owner at the time. A guy called Jared. About how I was wanting to get more into the coffee side of things, because that was really my passion. At one point he um, said, well, why don't you send me your resume? And I did. And then I remember getting a call back like months later. And I was like, yes, I got the Waking Life job. And I was very excited about it.
2: (laughs) Because what did it mean for you?
1: It meant that I could figure out a way into specialty coffee.
2: Sarah now begins to work part-time for Jared at Waking Life. Do you remember your first day?
1: Yes. Yes, I do, actually. Um, I remember I was working with Jared on my first day. I remember just being very wild because my previous coffee knowledge was you press a button and the coffee comes out.
2: What what were your first impressions of Jared?
1: I mean, he seemed very uh, in love with coffee and very excited about coffee and passionate about it. And I think that's what made me really excited to see an owner that was working behind a bar that was really excited about what they were serving. Sarah
2: starts working at Waking Life at an interesting juncture in Jared's life.
1: When I first came on, I remember Jared being very clearly like someone who had just come out of Christianity. Like... Like a lot of Christianity, and being like, I, I'm not super religious anymore, and I'm finding my own self outside of religion in the South, and him like often trying to have intellectual conversations.
2: Let's fast forward a bit to July 2014. Jared starts a blog called Holistic Game. Here are a few sentences from his first blog post Greetings. You are perhaps reading this because you have stumbled about the manosphere, quote unquote looking for answers to your personal and romantic woes a bit about me i'm a young man in the twilight of his third decade on this planet i lost my virginity at age 24 and until the past year struggled mightily when interacting with women around this time sarah begins to notice that something has changed with her boss jared
1: we used to have some in passing intellectual conversations when I first started working there and then as time progressed there was a, a like more of a distance between me and him and not only me and him but I think like everyone that worked there and him.
2: And do you remember Jacob in the cafe?
1: Um so Jacob came along maybe a year and a half into me working there and then I remember maybe a week's or months later found out that he was going to be a business partner in Waking Life.
2: Sarah now has two bosses, Jared and Jacob.
1: And then once Jacob came on, it was a very clear change where they were like, almost us against the world sometimes.
2: Jared and Jacob, now business partners, also become partners on Jared's Holistic Game blog. They have stumbled into the red pill community. This is a community of men who call themselves pickup artists and they invest time learning how to be more effective, convincing women to have sex with them. And red pill pickup artists are a special breed of pickup artists. They believe Western women will more readily offer sex to alpha dominant men when they are younger. And then if and when the time comes to start a family, women will choose more submissive and loyal beta men. So in a nutshell, the owners of Waking Life, Jared and Jacob, tried to develop strategies to appear more like dominant alpha men in the hope of having sex with more women. I did get hold of Jared for this story, but he politely declined my interview request and I wasn't able to get in touch with Jacob.
4: I've never, I've never looked at porn in my life. Yeah, yeah me neither.
3: <laughs> Welcome to the Holistic Game Podcast, number three. Numero tres. Numero tres with <laughs> Jay and Jay. Um, before we start, I need to correct... The-
2: Jared and Jacob also begin a podcast where they talk about red pill strategies for an online community of pickup artists. They anonymize themselves by referring to one another as Big J and Little Jay.
4: I was getting what called the next day. But, Jay, what but Jay her, called. Fuck. Get, my, get my name right. We're trying to keep it anonymous. Jesus trying Christ. To, trying to. Anyway.
2: Nobody in Nashville knows that the Holistic Game podcast is out on the internet. Unless, of course, they're a part of the pickup artist community. And even if you knew the podcast existed, you wouldn't know the identities of Jay and Jay, or even where in America it's being recorded
4: maybe yeah Yeah. there was a little bit of profit from it she was a plate it it was a person to have sex with once a week so like say in the beginning you were putting in two units drop down to putting in half a unit you know like just call her once a week have her over like tell her to come over at like nine you know right like get her to come over fuck her and then be like hey it was good to see or whatever cut it off short you know
2: And all the while, Sarah is working at Waking Life. She, like everybody else in the community, does not know that Jared and Jacob, her bosses, are the men behind the podcast.
1: When I look back on it my first like year, especially what made me want to keep going there every single day, was my customers. And you know a lot of the same people came every single day. They became your best friends, it felt like you know this one time them just being like hey how was your day going i like you look a a little off or something and being like that's actually what i needed
3: and we talked about this the first podcast it was like every girl that came in our business i was just like oh i just all over it you know what i mean yeah yeah. some of these girls that just uh, nowadays i'm like that girl i would never touch Mm -hmm. back then i was like i i would just want to drag that girl in the bathroom you know what i mean
2: Sarah begins seeing more of a change with how her bosses, Jared and Jacob, are interacting with their customers.
1: You started to see some boundaries crossed where you were like, I don't really like the way you just talked about that customer, or I don't really like the way that you went out and it almost seemed like you were bothering them. Wow. Uh, but I remember it clearly being like, I, I think that person's trying to get work done and you look like you might be annoying them.
2: I'm imagining someone on a laptop typing away yes. with, the, with a head cocked to the right kind of talking.
1: Yes, Totally. And sometimes be like, okay, I'm I'm still typing. Okay, you're still there. Okay, I'm still typing.
4: But if you can tell that a guy that's making fun of you is insecure, it's very easy to just turn the table and be like, how many times are you having sex a week? How's that going for you? Or especially if you're with a bunch of guys and they're like, oh, you're just gonna you're gonna be alone forever, aren't you? Right. Like it's so easy to just become the champion in that room right. because you're doing what everybody else wants to be doing. Right, So just call it out, it's easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly How much are you getting laid
3: once a month? Cool, thumbs up I slept with five <laughs> women last week <laughs> That was cool <laughs> It was real
2: cool <laughs> When did you meet Lindsay?
1: I met Lindsay Because I would go back to Charlotte pretty regularly
2: Lindsay is the owner Of a pop-up cafe in Charlotte Called the Daily Press
1: And so I went in and her menu was incredible. She had five signature beverages on and she was doing coffee like I hadn't seen anyone else do coffee in North Carolina. And it was especially seeing a woman do it. It was super exciting because at the time, pretty much everyone in coffee that I had been exposed to that was an owner was a man.
2: And over time, Sarah gets to know Lindsay better because she does more and more guest barista shifts at Lindsay's Cafe in Charlotte. And speaking of lindsay here she is so when you when you opened the daily press what what's the story there
5: i wanted to have a little bit more equality in the shop there's a, a tendency for mustachioed white males to have an advantage over women and and despite the fact that i had been working so many years in coffee and working very hard to go above and beyond the bromance between owner and employee It would overshadow my work. I wanted to create a space that didn't operate like that.
2: (laughs) What was the reputation that Waking Life had at the time?
5: I just remember them being well-respected in the coffee world. It had won best coffee shop in North Carolina. I just remember kind of thinking at the time, shucks, I wish we had gotten that. (laughs)
2: I hear that the coffee was excellent at Lindsay's Café, but compared to Waking Life's clean and minimalist decor, Lindsay's Café could not have been more different.
5: It wasn't a dark, dirty pub and, you know, it just it was awful at the time. I would come in and, and our equipment would be broken because the music venue the night before and I'd have to come in and clean up vomit from the show and beer cans and it was a passion project. And if I weren't so passionate about coffee, I would have died in size.
3: Part of it is like, man, women step it up. Like be better. You yeah. know what I mean? Like be interesting. Like read something interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Be passionate about something. Yeah, like have an interest or a hobby or, you know, something that like something that makes like us men go, what? That's mm-hmm. really cool.
2: Also in 2014, Sarah graduates from university. So at that point, how did your hours change at Waking Life?
1: When I graduated, um, I went rapidly from working like two to three shifts a week to five shifts a week. I had planned on going to grad school and getting my PhD in sociology, and I saw myself going the academic route. But I fell in love with this community. I fell in love with Asheville, and I couldn't see myself anywhere else.
2: Sarah is now working full time at Waking Life. A little while later, Waking Life is doing so well that Jared and Jacob begin to expand. They find a downtown location, and they now plan to have two
3: shops. Momentous decisions. Stressful and decisions.
4: I guess those usually go hand in hand. Stressful
3: though. business decisions.
4: Hundred thousand bucks.
3: And so, we are talking, of course, about expanding maybe that's our that. latex suit. Our dominatrix latex suit business, yeah, yeah. This is what we do. The new factory is right. what we're talking about, right? With uh, S- lots with, of hot rubber, uh huh. Huge cutouts for mm. dongs, yeah.
4: Um, it's pretty exciting. Uh, this is but, why we're so good with women. We just give them a tour of the factory and all the toys, and right there it is, just ripe for the picket. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's part of the tour, You want to throw this suit on for me, baby girl? Oh, put this on, band over. Mom. Oh, um. Well, I I haven't gotten any new notches since last time. Have Mm. you? I don't think you have either.
4: No, no new notches.
2: By now, the Holistic Game podcast has over 20 episodes, and the blog has made many references to people that Jared and Jacob slept with. Asheville's not a big city, you know, about 100,000 people. If anyone ever finds out who they are and makes their identities public, it wouldn't take much for the Asheville community to figure out which specific women in the community Jared and Jacob are referencing. And then, in August 2015, an anonymous blog comes out that de-anonymizes Holistic Game and attributes the podcast and the blogs directly to Jared and Jacob. And for context, Me Too has not taken off yet. This is six months before Brock Turner and two years before Weinstein. These revelations slowly start to circulate in the Asheville community. And at one point, Emily, who is the owner of a local news website, receives an email. Uh,
6: My husband and I, like, we buy and sell, like retro video games and so we were actually like in the middle of selling stuff at the flea market and i got this email on my phone so it was like oh i need to listen to this right now i need to figure out and i need to go and find an interview of jared speaking online to compare the voice to like confirm that this is what it seems to be it was a multifaceted social media branding campaign it was just so damning And, you know, the media struggles to find documentation for stories like this. So just to have it all laid out was just crazy, for lack of a better word.
2: What happened when you press publish?
6: Oh, God. Instant implosion. I mean, we're sitting in a car talking about it three years later, you know. So, you know, especially for like my little website, I was like, hey, I'm getting 30,000 hits a month. I'm killing it. And then I released the story and, oh my God, 10,000 hits an hour. Holy crap. I think I had got like a million hits that month.
2: This story is the equivalent of a wildfire. On a Friday afternoon in September, Sarah is working one of her shifts at Waking Life. And it's then that she finds out what her bosses have been up to.
1: I was at work and I... Looked at my phone, and it. I just had text after text after text. I was feeling really overwhelmed because I'd already been really busy at work, and I was like, I don't know what I'm reading. I'm really confused. Like, is this a joke? Wait, what is this? And then you get, like, deeper and
6: deeper into it, and you're like, oh, oh my gosh.
2: Here's Emily again, the local news blogger who broke the story.
6: There was a protest, like, that day. Um, You know, there were just, like, it, and it was women that had read it that were, like, This is not okay. And they just made up some signs and stood peacefully in front of the coffee shop. And the coffee shop closed early that day. (laughs) Yeah, it was very effective.
2: What was it about the story that resonated so strongly?
6: Like they weren't viewing women as human beings. They were calling them plates. Saying boys will be boys. This is just what men do. Is giving leeway to any man that has acted in a predatory manner. Sarah
2: is now back at home, and she's listening to her boss's podcast and reading their blog.
1: There was just so many comments that I, I mean, they made me cry. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know how you could think this about a human, another human. Didn't want any, any woman that I know or any woman in general to be re- referred to as a plate or thought of as a plate and i remember making the decision that i couldn't go back after reading what i read there was no way mm-hmm. and so i let them know that i you know was going to go ahead and put in my notice and draft an email and send it in when i quit i had no notice and i feel like you know most jobs you leave you have at least 2 weeks of saying oh it's my last day let me say goodbye to you or whatever it is i worked my last shift not knowing it was my last shift and had absolutely no closure with any of my customers.
2: It wasn't just that you were quitting a job, you were quitting a community that you had been such a part of.
1: Yes. I mean, thankfully some of them I had their numbers and could reach out to them, but my first thought were, you know, the older people that I make coffee for every day that I didn't have their numbers and they become my favorite part of my morning that I didn't know how to contact them. I couldn't find them on Facebook or, you know, and so you go through this whole list of people that
6: you're going to miss.
2: And then what happened after that?
6: There was another protest.
2: Here's Emily again. You know, the local news blogger who broke the story.
6: More organized protest. Yeah, it was instantaneous pushback from the community about what was going on. But in a very like respectful manner, honestly, all things considered, it was very respectful and nonviolent.
2: Jared and Jacob published many apologies. There's a company apology and also personal apologies. I asked Sarah what she thinks of her now ex-boss's apologies.
5: Mm.
1: Words. I remember just being like, I don't even think you could say any words right now. That would make me feel any type of way about you except for I'm still feeling angry. (laughs) And I think everyone's still feeling angry. I don't know. There was, there was so many interviews that happened afterwards and the apologies and stuff where I just didn't feel like they totally understood why what happened happened. And I think a lot of people felt that way.
2: The main waking life cafe that Sarah works at is sold at a fire sale to another cafe that had been looking to expand west. The second downtown cafe that they were in the middle of building falls through. Waking Life had been operating for seven years. And in seven days, it was clear they were out of business. Sarah is now trying to figure out what to do next.
1: I'm here at my house for days and days and days on my computer trying to figure out what my next step was you know the thought came to me and I had people reach out to me saying you know hey if you want support and whatever it is if you want to open up a cafe let us know and we'll help you do it and anytime you make a big decision it's really scary this is earlier than I thought it was going to be but I'm I'm going to do this Fantastic. yeah
2: earlier why how old were you 23
1: and I knew that I didn't want to do it alone and Lindsay was the first person to reach out to me when everything happened saying, hey, if you quit, you can come down here and work some shifts to make some money. And I was like, I, I want to go to Charlotte and talk to Lindsay. And then I went down. I remember asking her if she would sit down and talk to me for a little bit. And I like nervously slash was very overcaffeinated, said, I've been wanting to do this. Blah, blah, blah. Do you want to do this with me? And I remember her being like, let's do it. I don't even think we discussed
5: it for more than a minute before we were like, we're opening a shop in Asheville. And she was so excited and it seemed like she was
1: just ready to do it.
5: She wanted to create a safe space and to continue serving coffee to Asheville. So then we were on the computer just trying to figure out how we could
1: make it a viable plan. Initially, we were trying to get the location that Waking Life was going to go into downtown.
2: Sarah and Lindsay set up a meeting with Jared and Jacob to see if they can take over the half-finished downtown space.
5: What was that meeting like? Looking at Jacob, he just looked like he just wanted to collapse inside of himself. I think Jared was more, we're here to discuss this, let's just discuss it.
2: Sarah and Lindsay also set up a meeting with the estate agent.
5: He didn't take us seriously at all didn't want to show us the space, was frustrated with us because we were four minutes early to look at the space.
1: And the guy says, well, I just want you to know that we have to have a professional business in here. We aren't going to rent this space to people who are going to put
5: women or female power in the windows. And me and Lindsay looked at each other. We're just like, uh, that wasn't our intention. We were just opening a coffee shop. You know, we, we have credentials if you want to see this functioning business that exists in Charlotte. And I remember Lindsay pulling out a copy of Briesta Magazine <laughs> that she had in her bag. You know, we have been in Briesta Magazine before. We're not just random, naive individuals. It was quite shocking. That was a traumatic experience for Sarah because it went from <laughs> dealing with this misogynistic owners to seeing misogynistic landlords. I know her spirit was a little bit a bit crushed.
1: I already felt like, eh, you know, I want to make this space a better space than it was going to be, but that just completely killed it for me. So I was actually driving at some point and saw a very small for rent sign, and so I call and make an appointment to go see it. And Lindsay's back in Charlotte, so I go by myself. And walk in and the person showing us the space is actually one of my former customers. Oh, I've been making you coffee for a while. This feels good. You know, this feels right. And it took us like a week to get the keys to the space that we're in now.
2: When did you open?
1: We opened in 2016.
2: The new cafe is called Trade and Lore. What was that first day like?
1: It was really emotional because there was customers that I hadn't seen in months. There was one particular couple, older couple, mm-hmm. that I loved very, very much. And I was so worried I would never see them again just because I didn't know how to get in contact with them. And maybe six months into being open, they walked through the door and I just started sobbing. because <laughs> I was like, I didn't think I was going to ever see you again. And it fills my heart so much to, to have you in this new space. So that's my story of it. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm happy to still be in Asheville and doing what I love uh, in a community that I love.
2: Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Filter Stories. This episode took me over 100 hours of work. I traveled to Asheville and conducted so, so many interviews with members of the community. And within those stories, there are so many fascinating themes. And unfortunately, we just didn't have time to go into them in this podcast. But I am putting together all these fascinating side stories, and I will release them at some point in the near future on the Filter Stories Patreon page. So at this point, maybe you're wondering, well, like, who is Filter Stories? Well you're listening to him. It's, it's just me. Uh, and this is currently my full-time job, even though I'm not getting paid for this. I started Filter Stories because, you know, I worked in coffee for a long time and I came across so many incredible personal stories that revealed to me the surprising realities of the coffee world. Now, when I left my last job, you know, I could have gone back to a corporate life and sell widgets in a gray suit. But instead, I chose to follow my passion for great storytelling, to share these fascinating stories with you. And I would love to get more diverse stories and to make them even more frequently. But for this, I need you. We need more people listening to keep this going. If you'd like to help, tell your friends. Two of them, tell two of your friends. Word of mouth is the best way we can both grow this. If you'd like to, please also write a review on iTunes and share this episode on Twitter or Instagram every new listener will make a big difference. I have three more episodes to share with you between now and October. And now, a few people I need to thank for the episode. The Awesome Filter Stories logo was created by Headquarters, a branding and packaging design team. Check out Headquarters' other stuff on their website, www.headquarters.studio. And a big thanks to Ashley Rodriguez of The Boss Barista Podcast for helping me find this story. If you're interested in deconstructing the patriarchy and hearing underrepresented female voices in specialty coffee, you will love The Boss Barista Podcast. Now, there are a few people in Asheville that I want to thank for both offering me their time and trusting me with the story. Sarah Winkler and Lindsay Pittman of Trade & Lore, Emily Trimnell of The Asheville Blog, Kristen and Ross Britton of Izzy's Coffeehouse, Ella Eminopi, Corey Thompson, Tony Sherwood, Avery from Liberty Coffee House, Trey Crispin, Aaron Durham, and Jay Weatherly of High Five Coffee. And a big thank you to the people who provided editorial feedback on drafts of the show Larato Mapagnani, Heather Simons, Christian Ladivier, Sina Ural, Amy O'Brien, Pia Klein, and Jenna Kirndall. I produced and edited this story and wrote and performed the piano music. Do you have story ideas for me? Please email me at hello at filterstories.org. You can follow Filter Stories on Instagram at Filter Podcast and sign up to the newsletter. You'll find it on the website, filterstories.org.
0: Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.